Bob's doing great. I'm doing great. At least two other people are doing great, even though you're not saying it. But I think, that's my hope is that by the end of this, everybody's feeling great because we're going into God's word, we're coming into his presence, and he's always faithful, he's always good. It's always great to come in and be reminded of what he tells us is true uh, because it's so easy to, to be off, so easy to switch off. It's so easy to get distracted. I, I was at a conference yesterday in Boise. I drove, like we just like got back up. Seven hours of silence, which is rare for me, because I have four children and they weren't with us, so it was nice. Anyways, I, <laughs> sorry, I was just I was just there. I was suddenly transported back to that awesome awesome time we had. It was great. Um, but at this at this conference, uh, one of my, my favorite pastor, my favorite living pastor, John Tyson, was there, and he spoke, and he said that right like in culture, like we have a war of attention going on. War of attention, like that is the reality that we live in. We have a war of attention, um, and everybody's uh, trying to tell us not what to think, but what to think about. Like, like honestly, like, like we will be deceived and lost and in this place of discouragement if we're just letting people tell us what to think about. Not tell us what to think. Like, the content doesn't matter. It's just like the focus is always being put on things that are just going to keep me from enjoying the, the present realities that I enjoy in Jesus. Like, if, God, if Satan can get my attention off of what is already true, what's already before me that I could enter into, if I would just, like, ooh, just, like, zone in and stop thinking about all the conflicts and all the anxieties and all the stuff that I get my mind distracted on, if I would just do that, just start thinking on him, meditating on him, like, like Psalm 1 talked about last week, we talked about that last week, you know, just thinking about him, like, then I could win the war of attention, and that's the only war I need to win. If I can just listen to the Lord. If I can get my mind just seated before him and say, God, I don't know what to think. I don't know what to do most of the time. Like, my life, like, I'm a mess. Like, I don't even know the next step I should take. But I just know this one thing, that I am safe and wise if I give my attention to you. That's enough. We take care of the rest. All that was off script, so I'm going to get back to my notes here. So uh, we've been making our way through a series called Everyday Disciples. uh, And so far, we've been taking some time to think through, and we haven't really even gotten to any of the doing, right? Because we think disciples, like, we're going to get to some doing, right, eventually, right? We're not just going to talk about theory the whole time, but we're going to do it one last time. We're going to talk about, we're thinking through uh, what discipleship is, right? right? And, like, and like how different, and this is the contrast I've been making over the last couple weeks, how different everyday discipleship is than occasional discipleship, right? Because everybody's like, yeah, I'll do it sometimes, I'll be a disciple sometimes. Like, you know, I'm, I'm free, like, for lunch this week. We could do, can I do discipleship then? But I'm really busy otherwise. <laughs> like, you can't be a discipleship every day because, like, come on, we got a life. Um, and like we talked about last week, everyday discipleship is, is better. And if, if, if you're, like, grading, like, you don't like that word better, just go listen to the talk from last week. Everyday discipleship is, is, is better. It's not because occasional discipleship isn't good enough. It's not because occasional discipleship isn't good enough as if we're just trying to achieve some standard of performance. That's, that's not what it's about. As if, like, I'm just really trying to impress God, and, and if I'm really trying to impress God, I have to be really committed to him. That's not it. The, the difference between everyday discipleship and occasional discipleship, it's not about commitment, but it is this. It's that everyday discipleship is better because it actually is good. In a way that occasional discipleship just isn't and can't be. The life of an everyday disciple is a good life. It is a full life. It is a blessed life. It is a life with God, a life lived in his presence that is participating with him in the life that he has and that he invites us into, the everyday life I live, where he is. It's a life of just soaking in the grace of God moment by moment, day by day, to the point where I can just wake up in the morning and just say, look, God's with me right here, right now, and I can live my life in the context of his presence, not in the context of his absence, where I'm always trying to get my way to him. No, because of what Jesus did, because I am in Christ, he is here with me right now, I have got the Holy Spirit within me, and I can go straight into the holiest of holies, into his presence, into the place that Israel had longed for right now, because Jesus this has already done it. We live in that context now as everyday disciples, and it's good. It's good. 
It's good in a way that occasional discipleship can't be good because it lacks the quality of fullness, presence, the consistency, the availability of the kingdom. That's what makes it good. That's what makes discipleship good because it can lead me to a kind of life that is full of rejoicing in and experiencing God's presence moment by moment, day by day. It's good. Jesus didn't make this distinction, right? This is my language, occasional versus everyday disciple. Jesus didn't use those words. Fair. But he did emphasize that disciples were going to have something special. Everyday disciples, true disciples, authentic disciples were going to be uh, people who, who had something special. The disciple, in Jesus' language, right, and it's the language that he used for this concept that I'm calling everyday discipleship, it's... it's um, the disciple in Jesus' language is the person who is a part of the kingdom of heaven, living life in the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is a, or the kingdom of God, like use, use the, the same, the same phrase. Um, the, the kingdom of heaven is a major theme in Jesus' teaching ministries. In all four gospels total, the word kingdom, right, in, in this context, it comes up 126 times. Gospels are not that long. The fact that the kingdom comes up 126 times is a very good indicator that it is an important theme. And whenever Jesus talks about the kingdom, he presents it as something that is available to disciples, to people who would follow after him, who would understand who he is and give themselves to him in a faithing relationship. To them, the kingdom of heaven is open. Something that disciples, they could, they could enter into it. They would be seeking after it and experiencing, like, a knowledge of it. That's our, the disciples' relationship to the kingdom and the various ways that Jesus talks about it. You can go back and do the homework, right? I'm assigning you to read the Bible. It's so pastory. For Jesus, living in the kingdom is what everyday disciples do. It's for those who are actually participating in this discipleship relationship with him. Let's take a look at Matthew 13, 10 through 16, for an example. And I'm, I'm skipping, like, I think I skipped verse 11 there, just, just for context. So I'm not removing anything secret. You, you can go back and check, okay? But just for ease of reading, this is what it says. The disciples came to him and said, Why do you speak to them, that is the Pharisees, other people, the non-disciples, in parables? And Jesus answered to them, Well, to you it's been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, it's not been granted. Therefore, I speak to them in parables. Because while seeing, they do not see. And while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, you will keep on hearing, but you will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but you will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears, they scarcely hear. And, with, and they, have their, uh, they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they would see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return. And I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, disciples, because they see. And your ears, because they hear. Jesus was always talking to his disciples about was the, was the kingdom. He went around talking about what the kingdom of God was going to look like, how it was going to operate, what, what, what it looks like to live in that kingdom, what sort of values it looks like that you take on, and, and what the experience of living in the kingdom was like. And, and he would share his teachings about the kingdom in, in parables. They were stories. Stories that felt familiar, that people could understand, they could grasp their hands on, and they would illustrate the dynamics of the kingdom. And of course, let's just say it, that's weird. Like, if you went to high school, and your English teacher was like, let me tell you a parable, and it was like that, like, all year long, you'd be like, I don't think I'm going to pass the test. I don't think my SAT score is going to be very good. Like, why are we doing it like this? Why wasn't Jesus just straightforward? Like, like, couldn't he just say, hey, this is the way it is, and, like, give him some practical, like, a couple, like, three steps to a life in the kingdom? That would have been nice. I think I heard that, that, that uh, sermon the other day from another pastor. Um, 
Well, I mean, like, like why wasn't it straightforward? Well, one day his, his disciples, they asked him that very same thing. They said, why do you talk like this, Jesus? Like, why are you always talking in parables? Um, and, like, his answer should make us, make us think, which is what we're doing. Let's think about it. Because there are many people... Well, I mean, what he says, like his answer, his answer is that the understanding the mysteries of the kingdom is something that the disciples get to have. And so he speaks in parables because he's actually giving something to them and it's, it's uniquely for them. He says there are many people who come and see Jesus, like Jesus was surrounded by people all the time and he's always telling them about the mysteries of the kingdom of God. And they all wanted to figure out what was up with this Jesus, because there was something up with this Jesus, but nobody could figure out what is up with this guy. Like, what, what, is, what is this deal? And so he just teaches, teaches. Um, but as Jesus describes so many people who, who sat before him and listened to him, the Pharisees, as well as other people, like Pharisees was this like camp of, of, of elite religious people. They were like super Christians, super Christians, you know, super Jews. I don't know. Uh, you know, they were like super holy people, right? But there were lots of other people. There were a lot of not super holy people. There were a lot of like scoundrels and rathscallions around Jesus, right? Lots of people, right? And all these people are hearing the same things. He's giving, he's teaching the disciples like in the context of the whole group and everybody's listening. And he says, what's happening is that some people, some people are hearing and they're understanding. Some people are seeing and, and they're perceiving. They're, they're, they're actually figuring out what this is all about. He says, but others, while seeing, they don't see. And while hearing, they don't hear, and they don't understand. And in contrast to that is the calling of the disciples. They understand and they hear Jesus, or at least like they follow up with questions, and then they come to understand, which we see all throughout the Bible. They're like, yeah, we didn't quite get that. Could you explain it to us? And, and Jesus is gracious, and he does, right? He says, he says, but as those people come and understand, he says, blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. Hearing and listening, seeing and, and perceiving is, is like a blessing. It's a blessing to understand what Jesus is unpacking throughout his ministry. That's what he says. It's a, it's a blessing to come as a disciple and, and to actually know, what is this guy about? It's a blessing. The kingdom opens up. The mysteries of the kingdom open up to the disciples. But it's closed off from those who, who aren't disciples, who don't come as disciples. Because the disciples can hear and see, but those who aren't disciples, they, they hear, but they just can't make any sense of it. They see, but they just can't like understand what it's all about. And, and Jesus locates the problem of the non-disciple, the one who can't hear, he hears but can't understand, who, who sees but can't really perceive, can't really lay hold of it. He locates the problem in the heart. He says, the heart of this people has become dull. It's a, it's a dullness of heart problem. And I want to just be super clear about what Jesus is saying. He's not saying that the disciples are some kind of like, like special VIP people who, who like bought the after party pass, right? Like they, they like have access. He's not, not saying that. He, he's not saying uh, that the, the disciples are, are the people um, who are invited to the special place. It's not that. What Jesus is saying, the disciples are people who have actually just shown up to the party, like, everybody heard the same thing. They were all invited. Everybody knew what the party was going to be like. They all had the same information available to them. They could have heard and perceived. They could have listened, but they didn't. Like, like the disciple is the person who hears it and then just says, yeah, I'm going to go there. I'm going to be that sort of a person who doesn't listen with a dull heart. Jesus says, like, to you it's been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it's not been granted. He's not saying that there's a class of people who can come to Jesus because Jesus, like, likes those people and doesn't like this other class of people who can't come to Jesus because he doesn't like those people. That's not what he's saying. He's talking about the quality of a person. The determinative factor is, is in the person. It's not about Jesus saying, like, oh, some are in, some are out. Like, I'm just going to, like, forget you guys. Like, I'm just going to, like, let you hear, and I'm just going to laugh that you can't understand. He's talking about there's, there's a type of person who hears what Jesus is saying and just says, yeah, I want that. And there's a type of person who hears what Jesus is saying, and, he, and they say, I don't think I want that. And to those who don't want the things of God, like, it's not been granted to you because you don't want it. Like, you didn't even choose it. 
But you didn't, you didn't respond to the call of God. And to those who hear it and they just say, oh man, I, I don't really get everything, but I, I think there's something there. To those, it's been granted to understand. Jesus goes on later, he talks about how those who, who have already, they're going to get even more. Those who, who seek and they're laying hold of the little things that they understand, they're going to have even more understanding. It's going to be poured out to them. And those who, who have, like, uh, uh, who don't have, like, they're just, it's going to have nothing left. Like, there are people who lay hold of the kingdom, and there's people who don't. Those who hear what Jesus is talking about and say, yes, yes, I mean, like, yeah, Jesus. You're talking about something, and maybe I don't get it all, but there's something going on there, and I'm going to say yes. Those are the people who have been granted to understand. And maybe they don't fully get everything. Maybe they can't write the textbook on Jesus or whatever, right? But they know enough about the essentials. They start to understand that what's going on with this kingdom is that this guy, Jesus, is doing something. And we just need to just keep listening to him. We just need to keep seeking, and, and we're going we're gonna to understand as we hear. If we just keep seeking after him, and, and then other people just heard, and they're just like, I don't think so. So the disciple is the person who says yes. A disciple is a yes man or a yes woman. <laughs> a disciple is the type of person who's just saying yes to D Jesus. A disciple is a person who experiences, like, a lot of no. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, there's a lot of no in you because you're weak and because you don't know how to, like, do the right stuff and you don't know how to follow Jesus perfectly and you're, you're imperfect. But a disciple is a person who says, yeah, with all the no in me, I hear this louder yes, and I'm just going to keep pushing myself in, pursuing the kingdom. I'm going to keep chasing after Jesus. They hear a louder yes in them, and that yes keeps them going back to Jesus over and over again. That yes that they've received from God himself, that Jesus is going around saying, hey, I've got this message, the kingdom is among you. Do you want to say yes? Do you want to come in? Do you want to understand? 2 Corinthians 1.20 says this, all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes, and through Christ are amen, which just means yes, ascends to God for his glory. What Paul is telling the Corinthian church right there is that Jesus has opened up this way, that the promises of God could be yes. Like all these things that he said about who he is and what it's like to like know him and walk with him, they're yes because of what Jesus has done. And your response to what Jesus has done, his yes, his fulfillment of promises, is through Christ, another yes. So Jesus says, yes, you can have life and forgiveness because I've died on the cross to save you from your sin. And we just say, yes, I want that. Jesus says, yes, you can trust me. I am good. My father is good. He'll take care of you in every moment to the point where you can cast all your cares upon him. He says, yes, you can. And we just say, yes. That's worship. Just saying yes. It ascends to God for his glory. And what did you do? You didn't do anything. You just said yes. Because of what Jesus has done, we can be the kinds of people who just say yes and lay hold of the promises, not because we're great, not because we've done anything, but just looked at and seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We've heard the loving way that he's made so that we can have grace and forgiveness. And we just say, yes, I need that. I need a new way of being myself because it's just not working for me anymore. Everything in me, I just recognize that says, no, like I can't have it. And so I just see what you're doing, Lord, and I don't understand it all. Just want to say yes. And so we do that in worship. We say yes, even when we don't get it. Even when we don't really see how all this stuff is going to work out or play out, we just keep saying yes. We say yes and we enter into the glory of God. We say yes to Him, yes to His promises in Him, yes to what He's done, what He's doing, what He is presently making available to us. 
See, the disciple is the one who says yes to Jesus. They hear and they understand. They understand the mysteries of the kingdom of God, not because they're smart, but because they come to embrace the confounding and simple principle, Jesus is Lord. That was the confession of the church. Jesus is Lord. I'm not Lord. You're not Lord. Caesar's not Lord. Jesus is the one who's determined how the world's going to work now, and he's made all these promises. He's set them before you, like like welping you, sitting you at a table, and you just get to feast on the yes, the promises, the table he's made before you. Jesus is Lord, and that changes everything. See, in the Bible, people are constantly coming up to Jesus. And they're usually saying something on the lines of, well, actually, either they're coming in faith, which is just, yes, Jesus, heal me. Jesus, save me. Jesus, do something to me. Or they're coming this other way. They're saying this, what do I have to do? Can you just tell me the thing that I need to do to measure up? Can you, can you just tell me the thing that I need to do to make God happy so that I can just be okay. Like that's what the rich young ruler says, right? Uh, I think I got that on the slide here. Yeah. Matthew 19, verse 16. Someone came to him and said, teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? Eternal life, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, all the kind of same idea, right? And there's some intervening verses there. And then Jesus says to him, well, if you wish to be complete, I'll go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. Like, there's another guy, Nicodemus, right? Nicodemus, he's a Pharisee. He comes to Jesus, a teacher. Uh, Nicodemus is a big deal. Like, he's, he's a well-known man, a, a respected person, a person who knows, should know a lot about God and, and knows a lot about God, and he comes to Jesus, and he says... Rabbi, we know that you've come uh, from God as a teacher, a teacher, uh, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them, right? And then Jesus answered him and said to him, and it's really interesting, like Jesus answered, answered him, he answered him by cutting him off, right? I mean, like Nicodemus has not yet completed his thought, right? Nicodemus just shows up and be like, hey, um, Jesus, so let me butter you up a little bit. Uh, you've come from God. You're a great teacher. And, and you know, he's gearing up to ask, uh, could you teach me something? Could you, could you tell me what I should do, right? And before Nicodemus can even get to his question, Jesus very rudely says, hey, 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 truly, 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 I say to you, whatever you're about to say, forget it. Here's something I want to tell you. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus, probably a little perturbed, is like, how? Okay, Jesus, like I, I, I know I said you're a teacher, but I think maybe you're not because I don't have any idea what you're talking about. How can a man be born when he's old? Like, don't you see? I'm like, I'm not, I'm not long for this world. How can a man be born again? How can a man be born again when he's old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born again, can he? You silly Jesus. And Jesus answered and he says, no, 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 really, 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 truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. See, Jesus always does this. People just come to him, and they're just looking for a little hack. Like, what's the tip? Give me the three steps. I just, I just, like, I just need an adjustment. I think like a chiropractor, you know. Oh, it's fine, it's fine. I just need you to go, and then I'll just walk on my own. I'll be, I'll be totally good, right? People always come into Jesus, and they want just a simple fix to their life. And Jesus is like, oh, you want, just want a simple fix, huh? Well, how about you totally turn your life upside down? That's, that's the simple fix. That's the simple fix I have for you. Oh, Richard and Ruler, how about you just throw your life out the window, follow me. That's your simple fix. Nicodemus, oh, you're, you're a smart guy. Listen, um, why don't you do this thing that you couldn't possibly understand? Why don't you just be born again? Like, you think you're so mature and you're so wise, and you, just, you might just need a little corrections here and there. You just need a total restart. You need to break it all the way down and come out new because the way you're going is you can't get there from here. 
You need to turn your world upside down. Go ahead and sell your stuff. Follow me. Forget everything else. Forsake it. Come after me. Because you think that you're really close to cracking the code, but you are so far away. You don't even know. You don't even know how far you are. Or do this thing that seems impossible, be born again. Like, like every time people come to Jesus saying, what is it I need to do? He says, you just need to change everything. You just, you just need to give it all up. You just need to stop trying to do it the way you've been doing it. Because it's not going to happen this way. Because the whole enterprise of your life is just wrong. Like you think you're missing the mark. You're not even shooting in the right direction. Like you're, going, you're going totally off. Because you think like your life is leading you somewhere good and, and that you are just so close to it. He says, you're not even close. Jesus, when he started his ministry, that was like his simple message. It was a simple message he went around teaching. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's saying, repent. Something is coming. A new way. This kingdom of heaven is coming here. It's right at hand. It's right available to you. And it's really just the same message that he's communicating to these people. He's communicating it throughout the gospels. He says, repent. You need to just, just repent. Because hearing, like you think you're hearing, you think you're so close, like you just need to hear a few more things. Because you're not even hearing anything at all. You're, you're totally on the wrong track. You think you're hearing, you, you're not close. Like you, you think you're seeing, you think you're like, I'm going to see my way to holiness. If only I could just do a couple little things to be a little bit stronger, to make God a little bit more happier. And if I just get that, he says, no, man, you just need to repent. Like the, the whole way that you're pursuing this holiness thing is totally off. The whole way you're pursuing this discipleship thing is totally off. Like the Pharisees thought themselves disciples to God. They were, the, they were God people. They were people who were holy and awesome, right? And they're looking at all these other sinners. They're like, they're the ones who are way off. And Jesus says, you're off. <laughs> like you think you guys are on the right path because you think you're hearing. You think you're understanding. You're not understanding. These people, yeah, they're, they're like a mess. And they know they don't hear and know they don't understand. I've got something for all of you guys. You need to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He says, like, you need to change. It's not the change that you think. And in fact, what Jesus, what Jesus found throughout his ministry, and I, th I think we find it today, is that people were so committed to misunderstanding what he meant by repent. Really, really. They were just like, we're not going to let this go. We, we, we don't get it, and we are going to continue to not get it, Jesus. Right? They're continuing to misunderstand by what, what he's saying. And I think, yeah, even today, we, 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 think, we, we miss it. Like, like, think about that word repentance. What, is, what does repentance mean? What does repentance mean? I won't, I won't, you know, call on anybody. I just want you to think about it in your head. What does repentance mean? Uh, the Greek word for repent is metanoiate. Metanoiate. That's how Jesus pronounced it. Now, he spoke Aramaic. He didn't even speak Greek. Um, and it really just means to have a changed mind. Like a good translation of metanoiate, repent, because it's like kind of a churchy word, like let's get a new word that doesn't have all the baggage. It's just a reconsider. That'd be a really good translation of the word. It's something that we're doing. It's like a, a, a semi-mental thing, semi-spiritual thing, like it's an internal thing. It's, it's a totally different way, a totally different way of perceiving what's going on in the world. Metanoiate. See, we, we tend to think repent is stop doing bad things. Right? And you've got your list of bad things. You need to stop doing those bad things. If you stop doing those bad things, then, then you'll have repented. Maybe a little tweak. Like if you're a drinker, just stop that, and then you'll be good in the kingdom of heaven. That's what Jesus was all about, right? No, that's not, that's not what he said. Like, like if you're, uh, you know, I've got a porn problem, well, just stop porning. And then, and then that's, that's it. That's, then you'll, then you, they'll be good. Like, you know, just stop being angry. And then you'll be in the kingdom of heaven. Like, that's not, this is not like the nature of the advice that Jesus gave. That's what people all around Jesus would love for him to have said. Give us something simple. Give us something that we can stop doing, start doing. Like little, you know, three steps, three steps. Give me something. I'll do it. I don't care what it is. What Jesus says is you just need to totally have a new mind. You need to totally reconsider even the nature of what you think is going to lead to your goodness and your betterment and to know God more. Jesus taught repentance. 
he taught his disciples to reconsider. Not to reconsider like your sin and the good things, the bad things you do. Not reconsider like how hard you're working, like work harder, be more committed. That wasn't what he was teaching people. Not just more reconsider, make better choices, just reconsider that. He taught people to reconsider what their life was, what it was for, who they were, what it means to be a person, a self, to die to that false self and live to a new kind of way of being a person. Reconsider what your life's all about. Reconsider the whole enterprise. Reconsider it all because it's really not going great and it can't go great. And he illustrates that reconsideration to the point where he uses that analogy of being born again. You just need to start fresh. The level of things you need to reconsider, it's not surface level stuff. It is fundamental, it is ontological, it is at your very being and all the assumptions that you think about how your life is and how good you are and what your life is for, you need to reconsider all of it because it's all rotten and wrong. You need to reconsider everything. Dallas Willard says this, I like to translate metanoiate this way. Think about how you've been thinking, or get a thought about your thoughts, a thought beyond your thoughts. Think in light of the fact of God's immediate presence and availability through Christ so that you can now live in the kingdom of the heavens. Psalm 23 can be your daily experience, and that is open to everyone. Whoever so uh, will may come. Reconsider your way of thinking about your life, your plans, your fears, your hopes in light of that. What Jesus went around telling people is basically, you think a certain way about who you are. You think the world is a certain way, but you don't understand who you are, and you don't understand what the world is like, and you don't understand God. You don't understand what he's like, what he's doing. You don't understand what he's establishing and the changes that he's making to, to everything through Jesus Christ. You don't understand me. You don't think I'm Lord. You don't even know what it means to have me be Lord. It means that I am the center of everything and everything else has to change if I am Lord. If I died and rose again, proving that all physics and every law that you ever knew about the way the world works is false, and actually that everything is subject to the power, mercy, active presence of God, then everything should change in your life. Because how could it be the same if Jesus died and rose again? Because people don't do that. That doesn't happen. You need to be totally reborn, totally reoriented, totally become a new person. And it's not going to come when you make little changes or tweaks to yourself or the way you do life, surface level stuff. It's going to come when you wake up to the fact of who I am and what I'm doing and what I'm calling you to as I am reaching out and saying, I'm going to transfer you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Everything's going to change. You're not going to be the same. You need to reconsider what you think I'm up to here it's not a small thing. Jesus is Lord, and nothing else can stay the same if that is true. And that impact is going to experientially change the way I go through my everyday life as a disciple. Because Jesus isn't saying, I'm Lord, so shape up, because I'm angry. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I'm Lord, and I am gracious. I'm the Lord who reveals myself. I'm coming out and telling you exactly how I am and what it's like to follow me. And it's not a burden. It's not painful. It's not something like, like a pound of flesh that you need to give, that you need to endure. It's not a gauntlet you need to run. It's an invitation to have a new life in Christ. He says, I am this Jesus who comes and dies for you. I love you. I care about you. And not only do I care about you, like it's a non-abstract care. I'm working in the world even now. I am the one who sets the table among your enemies. I am the one who binds up all your wounds and 
cares about you and leads you. I am the shepherd, the good shepherd who watches over you day to day. What else do you need? Do you think a little tweak to make you a little more holy is going to actually do anything? You don't need a course correction. You need a total revamp of your life and thinking about what it is and what it means to be you. You don't need some changes. You need a new life, a new life in the kingdom. The kingdom is what Jesus is opening up for disciples, people who just say, yeah, Lord, you be the shepherd. You be the pilot. You be the one who can just solve all this stuff because it's too much for me. And so I'm just going to lay my life before you, put my life in your hands, put my well-being in your hands. I'm going to trust you with everything I've got. And I'm just going to keep doing that. I don't, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes like, I don't want to do it. There's a no in me. I'm just going to keep saying yes to the glory of God. Even when it's difficult, I'm going to teach myself, my heart, which doesn't always want to do that. Those, those habits, those <laughs> disciplines of going back to the Lord. God cares. This is what Jesus teaches us. God cares about us and he acts. He doesn't just care about us in the abstract. He acts. Dallas Willard again says, at the center of biblical teaching then is the idea of an all-loving and all-powerful God who is in action and for us and with us. He's not passive. He's not distant. He's not indifferent. Walking into the kingdom of God is saying, okay, like, I'm, I'm going to forsake this way of thinking about my life where I'm separate from God, but I'm going to understand I am drawing near to God. I am in his care because Jesus has invited me in. I just trusted myself to him to the point where, like, other people are going to say, what are you doing? Why? Like, why would you trust Jesus? Like, that's crazy. And you just say, look, it, I've had this new way of thinking about life. I, I'm, I'm alive to a reality that you, you it's, it's available to you, but you can't even understand it because you don't get this thing. Jesus is Lord. Like, everything's different because he's Lord. He's working, he cares, he's acting at the very center of what Jesus is telling. He's telling us that God actually is doing something in the world. He hasn't left us. He hasn't forsaken us. And we can know that now. You need a new life. I need a new life. You need to be reborn. I need to be reborn. It's not just a new start so that you can make some, take some, <laughs> like, like, think about what it would, it's not, it's not a second chances. Like, I get it. Jesus is the God of second chances. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. But it's not like you get another chance at messing it up again. That's not what being reborn is. Like, oh, yeah, you're going to be the same person, like, and you're going to just do the same mistakes all over again. <laughs> and then what are you going to, you're going to want a third chance? Come on. No. It's just like Jesus just remakes us. He renews us. It's not about second chances. It's Jesus giving you a new life, a life that not, is not in any way like the one you used to live. Because before, like, you thought that your life and getting ahead and maturity was all just about you white-knuckling it through and making good choices and doing the right things. But now you see a life now, this reborn life, is life with God himself. It's the God who acts. It's the God who is gracious and kind and his, who, who's covenanted his love. And so, like, I can just keep trusting him. I can just keep knowing that this is the God who cares about me, who's not distanced but near. And so, like, I mean, in light of that, in light of that, let me just say this, to be an occasional disciple is just nonsense. It's just nonsense. If, if this is true, if Jesus is Lord and he is working and active and he's empowering and he's gracious and he's kind and he's doing all this stuff, to be an occasional disciple, like, it's just, it's just a silly idea. Because if we're disciples, if we're new people, then we're going to just live according to this new understanding of what we think life is like, according to the mysteries of the kingdom of God revealed in Jesus Christ. And if Jesus is Lord, if he's with us, how could we ever stop living that way? If we really come to accept this and really have this new life and this new birth. And so the idea of an occasional disciple is, is strange. It's a contradiction in terms. It's like saying, well, occasionally I'm alive, but sometimes I'm dead. And then occasionally, like, when I, when I go to church, I come alive again, but then I die again. The thing is, I'm going to be alive until I'm dead. I'm going to keep breathing until I don't breathe anymore. I'm not going to say, you know, today I'm, I don't feel like breathing. That's not what's going to happen. I will keep breathing 
until I'm not able to breathe anymore. And if you have this new life in Christ, then you are just called to breathe it in, to live in that. And the invitation of the disciple, that's what it is. It's to live in that life with God and to just keep living it, to keep persisting in it, to keep saying yes to God and to keep living this life with him where he's Lord and then I can trust him. And to do the work, that the work that we do is to just persist in that. Just to wrap, wrap this up, um, your worship team can come up. Just a few more thoughts. But one, more, one more from Dallas Willard. He says this, just to connect this to what we're talking about with, with the doing side, right? He says this, The deeper cause of the obvious fact that transformation into Christ-likeness is not the routine or normal course of the Christian life is our failure to understand what the kingdom of God is and what it's like to live in it. What is it like to live in the kingdom of God? We're going to be going on and we're going to be talking about uh, spiritual disciplines. And I have this little triangle diagram that we've looked at a few times. It's, it's um, also taken from Willard. I'm sorry to do that to you. You know, you could just read like, okay, either you can come to church for the next like uh, four weeks or you can just read 12 Dallas Willard books. It's your call. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Um, Okay, because like, because I'm, I'm kind of, it's hard to get practical here, right? It's hard to get practical here because like really where we're going in the rest of this, this series is we're going to talk about what are the disciplines of disciples, disciples, you know, disciples have disciplines. It's things that they do. Well, if, if all I'm doing is just like reconsidering, like, is, I mean, is that just a new way of thinking? And yeah, but the thing is, like, the way I think about the world affects how I live in it, right? We just got to understand that. The way I think about the world impacts the way I live in it. And so, like, I could look at this golden triangle of spiritual growth, and I could think, okay, well, I need to do, like, there's three levels on which, like, maturity is happening. There's the work of the Holy Spirit, and okay, I guess he's got that covered. I don't need to worry about that, right? And that's true. It's his thing. It's what he does. Then there's just like temptations, the ordinary stuff of life. And so I guess what that means is that I just need to like make the right choices. Okay. All right. And then I just need to do planned disciplines to put on a new heart. So I just need to pray. Okay. I'll just pray. Yeah. So like, like I could turn this into, right? I could very easily turn this into just a list of things that I need to do. And then is that... Is that what Jesus was talking about? Like, understand this. Like, this golden triangle of spiritual formation. Like, if you're going to be doing disciples, things like prayer, uh, disciplines, oh, gosh. Disciplines like things like prayer, things like worship, fasting. Um, We're going to talk about a lot of different disciplines in the upcoming upcoming weeks. I don't do these things because I'm just trying to better myself. I do these things because I understand I've been born again. Now, my life is not what it was anymore. And so the things that I do, I don't just need to be like the best. Like I'm not, I'm not called to be on the Olympic team of spiritual formation. That's not winning. What's winning and what's going to lead to my, to my maturity, my progress, is saying, okay, Lord, my life is different now. working just to feel better because that's not going to work. I don't know how to make myself feel better. Maybe drugs. I don't know. Right? Like, I mean, like, I guess I can think of some things. I, I, I might feel better for a little while. But actually, I'm trying to take up these planned disciplines. I'm going to spend time in prayer. And I'm just going to sit. I'm going to say, God, right now, I feel like garbage. I feel like far from you. I can have maybe some reasons. Stop. And I'm 
I'm just going to say, actually, I've heard this thing, and, and you've revealed yourself to me in such a way that you make it clear that I'm not the same anymore. I, I once was, like, cut off from you. I once lived in a world where I was just like, I don't see God working. I don't see him moving. I don't see him doing anything. But now, okay, I realize I've, I've been saying yes to Jesus with all I've been. So then I, then I pray and I start to think about my life and I, and I think about not what I want to make true and what I want to manifest in myself, right? I just think about who are you, God? And, and you're a God who I can talk to and you talk back. That's, that's it. Like you're active. You're, you're caring. You're at work. Like if I start to think about my life in this way, then I can participate with God. she like the day before she has three kids and the day before her husband was going to get a vasectomy um she had this dream that she was holding a baby and the baby was like half dead i'm sorry i'm 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 sorry i want to be sensitive to the fact that um, i mean we've had miscarriages and you know it's a lot of a lot of pain about you being competent to make good choices, oh man, like that's really rough for like 90% of us, and 10% of us could delude ourselves into thinking that we are winning, but we're not, (laughs) but if my life is not, is actually lived in the active presence of God, where he's he's working in the world, where he like is actually giving me dreams, like when I'm about to make decisions, and so I can just like open myself up and say, God, I'm just listening, I'm just listening, like I I actually think you're going to lead me to the right choice, then I don't have to worry about being super smart or being super great or being the right kind of person. I actually have to worry about who I'm paying attention to, and I'm just paying attention to God because I have this confidence now that he'll actually listen to me. And so prayer isn't just, oh, just like if I could only just like squeeze you, God, and make you feel guilty so that you do things for me. Prayer is just, hey, God, you listen and you work. And so, like, I'm just going to come before you because I have this confidence that you're maybe going to do something. Because you're you're not a God who's dead. You're a God who's alive. And and coming to church, like, as a discipline, worshiping together, like, it's not going to be, oh, yeah, I guess I should go to church because the pastor might notice and call me or something. I don't want that. That'd be an awkward conversation, right? Um, is actually just like, oh, I'm going to go into this place where these people who, who know God and walk into the kingdom, like, like they're listening. And maybe somebody's going to have like some, some wisdom for me, some discernment, some, some words, some encouragement that I couldn't have on my own. Like, like maybe God is going to work among his people, like, you know, like he said he was going to do. And he's going to pour out gifts and competencies and spiritual um, discernment and, and ways of just knowing about how like we should go and how we should Like, maybe God's actually going to work in that place instead of it's just like, oh, yeah, I got to go there and pay my dues. And, you know, like, like if God is working in the world, then, then I, when I engage in these disciplines, I'm actually coming with that expectation that he's going to show up. And he might actually speak. And he might actually lead and direct and guide. And then, of course, like, this becomes like uh, 
joy because it means that I can actually put on these disciplines and the, and the result of these disciplines is I don't have the burden of myself to carry anymore. Gosh, I'm so bad at being me. I don't have to be me. I get to just be like a new person, a person who has a life in the kingdom. And you get to do that too. So Lord, say yes, we want to say yes. And Lord, there's so much that we don't understand, Lord God. We understand your faithfulness and your goodness. And so, Lord, I just pray for everybody here, Lord. Let us reconsider what life is. And let us see your goodness, Lord. As we set out to be everyday disciples, let us understand that you've set before us a table and it's a good thing to know you to follow after you. Lord, we want all that you have, all the goodness, Lord. We want to know all what it is to have this new life in you, Jesus. And Lord, all the rabbit trails we go down and the things that it's not, Lord, would you just clear those things away and let us just see what it is, Lord. We get to live with you in the kingdom. We get to listen and hear and come to you as a God who speaks and who ever lives, who's ever making intercession at the right hand of the Father for us, the God who continues to just work in his church and work in us. Lord, would you have your way in us, I pray. Hey, uh, we're really low on time. We're going to have communion during this worship uh, song, but if you want it, you can just grab it and go back and just celebrate what Jesus has done. Like, celebrate that you have a way into the kingdom because Jesus has fought that way. He's invited you in. It's good. Rejoice in what he has. I just pray for you guys this week. I, um, I God's going to do some really good things 